Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, Spider-Woman by Maria Moravsky. First published in Strange Stories, April 1940. And um, did I, I, I think I did tell you how I found this story. Did, did I tell you that, Eric? I think you should tell the story. Okay. Of how you found it. I mean. Yeah. Do you, do you remember me telling you? Because it, it's, it's kind of like I'm still doing this sort of thing. Um, it's, it's funny. Um, so I get sort of like obsessed with like, I don't know why this is, why is this? And then I, I sort of just spend a few hours researching it, maybe a few weeks, few months, few years researching, whatever it is. And in this case, um, I was thinking about how all, there's so many monsters, um, you know, like the universal monsters from the universal pictures, movies, yep. like the Wolfman and, there's Frankenstein's creature, or just Frankenstein, they usually call him, and, and Dracula, of course, and the mummy, right? Yep. And I was thinking, there's not very many women, right? They're all men monsters. Um, the monsters in human form, that is, not Godzilla or whatever, but even even they're usually, you know, Jaws. They call Jaws the the uh, the shark, even though the shark's not really, doesn't really have a name. They call him a him. Right. So I was thinking, why is it that there's no female monsters? Well, you know, there are female monsters, but they're not. The, yeah, they're not the protagonists. Right. Yeah. Dracula has his brides, for example. But or like there's a witch. Right. But notice a witch doesn't really have like there's no name associated. Right. With I'm it. just trying to build up your point here. That not only it's not simply that they're absent, but in fact, they're subordinate. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it'll be like the bride of Frankenstein. Right. So in the sequel. They come up with a female version of the same monster, right? Right. Or, yeah, the, you know, there's a female Dracula, Dracula's countess or something like that, right? Um, and I think that that's – it's kind of – annoys me. So I, I went looking and, of course, I found um, the Spider-Woman, which is – there's I actually have a, like a, a Lego of a, a, a Spider-Woman. And I thought, well, what's the origin of that? And in researching it, I found this story. And I loved it, even though I think it's both badly written and wonderfully written. Do you do you understand why I call it badly written? I don't. I think it's wonderfully written. Show me why it's bad. Well, uh, it's. I, I think it packs a lot, a lot of stuff into a very short amount of space. But there's kind of a clunkiness to the writing. Um, I sometimes like would get lost as to who's who's thinking or talking and i'm i'm not sure if that's because maria moravsky's language is not english first language is not english or if it was just the the way the magazine edited it but there's there's a lot of lines that sort of make me make me think that it, it wasn't well written but on the other hand there's so many things in it that make me do think it's well written i'm conflicted in that respect well, when we talk about specific lines, we can see whether or not there's any that that either look worse to me or better to you. Mm. Um, I must say that I I loved the fact that this story resonates so with a number of uh, culturally significant issues. It's published just after the European beginning of World War Two, but 
before the United States is uh, involved in a combat role, April 1940. The story concerns the title character, the Spider Woman, a, presumably a woman, who, through whose situation the author is able to address issues of economics, gender inequality, justice, revenge, uh, outsider versus native. Uh, and in addition to that, because the Spider Woman's means of livelihood is providing props to Hollywood studios to make the kinds of monster movies you were talking about. She provides them with spider props that she produces in her spidery, like an aviary. Mm -hmm. She presumably grows them, then embalms them and sends them off to Hollywood. She is in her own way living on the economics of entertainment. That is, the whole Hollywood industry is based on attracting people's gaze and getting them to pay for the privilege. And the privilege that they are paying for is the privilege of looking at something that is horrific. But of course, since it is on the screen and not in life, it is removed from one. So there's a kind of frisson, you know, there's a, a thrill that you get to have without really being in danger. The story, Spider-Woman by Maria Morawski, gives you a chance to look at a monstrous woman, uh, a thrill that you get without actually having to have her in reality. It's another fantasy. It's a monster story itself. And it's written by a woman who has to support herself as an exile, as an outcast, a Russian woman in America. So she has found a way to live, that is Maria Morovsky, to live on the economics of selling monstrosity to a public that just wants to gaze on things without taking account of what monstrosity really means, of what horror really means. So this is a deeply ethical and angry story, I think. Um, I agree. Yeah. And I, I like it. You, you, oh, I, I, I really like it. Um, I, I was trying to think of an example of how, you know, the, that clunky writing was like, I, I'll just pick a, a line at random on here on this page here. Ryan, a portly purple faced man of uncertain age, bloated from too many drinks, went reluctantly to meet Madame Remazova. And so I would say I, I understand she has to get a bunch of stuff in there, like writing is solving problems, but it just doesn't flow. Right. It doesn't flow. But. Other times, uh, even on the same page, it does flow. Here, rumor had it, it flows a little better, anyways. Here, rumor had it, she was she always entered unclothed or wearing a black mesh of silk net underwear. So she's getting information out, right? But who's telling this, right? The who the narrator is, is is sort of flow. It flows back and forth. So the, I don't know, like, for. It's kind of an unsettling story. Maybe it has the effect of unsettling you, and maybe because it's about a spider woman that's intended. But if it was like, uh, it doesn't feel super polished to me, and it might be because it has to be rushed. But you didn't get that sense at all. I did not. Um, 
take oh. take for example the the line you just used. I would mm-hmm. point to um, the alliteration between portly and purple faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would take a look at where the commas go in that sentence. One could read the sentence thus: Ryan, a portly and purple faced man of uncertain age, bloated from too many drinks, went reluctantly to meet Madame Remezova. That doesn't sound like a rush sentence to me at all. Um, but, you know, a lot has to do with, with the reading. Uh, I, I think just the plot of this, uh, now that I've read it a number of times, the plot of this seems seemed to me at first to be sort of purple prose-ish kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which I think of as bad writing. The plot of it at first seemed to me to be somewhat contrived. But when I read it over, I realized that the underlying themes are implicit from the absolute beginning, from the absolute beginning. And so in reading it over, I find not only that I can enjoy the the style, but the way the plot unfolds is, I think, uh, excellent. Uh, it's it all comes together, and it goes on further than one would have expected. It really does mm-hmm. wonderful things. L- let me begin. It. The story begins. They were weird spiders, no two alike. Madame Remezova supplied them to the studios. Hmm, twenty-seven assorted spiders for Dracula Returns. She read and reread the order, frowning. Her eyebrows were like twisted leeches. Mm-hmm. Now, that her eyebrows were like twisted leeches may seem like a complete throwaway line the first time you read the story. But what we learn as we read the story is that Madame Remezova has the ability, like Dracula in the movie, to compel people by his his gaze. In fact, she lives, Madame Remezova, on the orders that she gets from the uh, Hollywood studios. So she is a leech, and her eyebrows look like they are some kind of twisted leeches, which mm-hmm. is to say there is something twisted about her. Later, we are going to find that all of the the evil that she does, the people that she kills, that she lures into her spidery and drugs and turns into prop spiders by a kind of magic spell that shrinks them down. Right. So this is definitely a fantasy that Mm -hmm. all of those people had been people who were usurers. They were money lenders. They were people like the ones who had killed her husband, sucked him dry until mm. he was gone. So she's alone in the world because of usurers. She is exacting vengeance on them. She is, in fact, the spider woman. No two were alike of these weird spiders because each came from a different person whom she has killed. We later will find out. The word weird, I, it's hard to know if Marowski knew this, but the etymology of the word weird in English, it comes from the old English word for fate, right? These were fated spiders. Each one is, in fact, brought to its fatal conclusion by what Madame Romazova does. She supplies them to the studios because it's through the display 
of horror that one can actually live within the law in the United States, in Southern California. The contrast between the moodiness of the Russia that Madame Remazova comes from and the the bright desert sunshine of Southern California in 1940 is, I think, quite, quite vivid. And Mm -hmm. we see all of that, I think, already implicit just in those first few sentences. I think reading it over, I became really impressed by the degree of control that Maria Morovsky had in telling this story. There's um, uh, those eyebrows come up again later on. And I love I love that line, too. It goes, the spider woman's eyebrows twisted spasmodically like disturbed leeches. Right. Um, she, she is both a matter of horror, but also a matter of sexiness. Right. Oh, there's that that there's that uh, that line from the mysterious narrator giving a rumor like like the people in the areas. It says one of her insects. Oh, huh. I lost that spot. Um, but basically it says that she it was rumored she goes into her into her spy ah here it is. Um, it says she always entered unclothed or wearing a black mesh of silk net underwear. Like really? Right. <laughs> if it's a movie, of course, right? She looked very decorous in her tight dress of misty black foulard and a yellow brooch in the shape of a lopsided cross as she walked now towards the general store in the Hollywood suburb, a store theatrically called the Horn of Plenty. Um, I think it's worth remembering. Uh, I don't know how many people would know this this day these days, but Foulard, um, that kind of cloth mm-hmm. is a very lightweight silk or cotton cloth. In other words, what what the the title character is wearing at that point is a tight fitting sundress. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when she is clothed, she's super sexy. Uh, mm-hmm. Later, when she talks to the juror who wants to follow up the not guilty verdict that comes down for her murder, um, she says, "Am I too old to flirt with you?" And, you know, and well, no, 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 no. He, but he can't resist, um, mm-hmm. right? And because she has her other attributes, including being an analog for what is explicitly in the story, a black widow spider. And we Mm -hmm. know that black widow spiders consume their lovers. Uh, She is in a sundress, but she is so dark. Uh, The Russian background here is powerful. I wonder, maybe this is a good time to to point to to the fullness of the Russian background. Um, The shrubbery was alive that night with armed crouching men. They're trying to catch her in the act of doing something wrong. Madame Remazova serenely walked in her garden, whistling dark eyes and eating small spiders cunningly made out of chocolate. (laughs) Right. So to her, it is dessert. I wonder, maybe we should hear dark eyes a little bit. This is this is perhaps the most famous uh, gypsy song, at least in the United States. Um, and we found a version by Chalyapin, this really, really internationally known uh, tenor. Could we could we hear a little of uh, Dark Eyes? Sure. Oh, 
Ваша, очень страшная и прекрасная, как люблю я вас, как боюсь я вас, знать увидел вас, я не буду. Now, I mean, you can feel, you know, the steps and, and the passion. The, the English translation of this uh, verse, which is the first and last verse of the song, dark eyes, burning eyes, passionate and splendid eyes. How I love you. How I fear you. Truly, I saw you at a sinister hour. This mm-hmm. is the most famous Russian gypsy song in the United States. And here we have this Russian emigre or Polish emigre um, who has her title character, who is a Russian emigre, whistling this song as she goes about eating small spiders cunningly made out of chocolate, just as she makes small spiders cunningly out of the people she kills in revenge for their being spiders that is them being usurers, the world feeds on each other in this story. It is a grim story, but I think we come to appreciate that this monster, as you said, as we began, Jesse, we are the woman monsters. Why Mm -hmm. do women have their chance? And this story in a way tells us they don't have their chance because the studio guys are men. The studio bosses are men. The stagehands are men. She tries to get blackmailed by a man. A usurer is willing to lend her money. Uh, uh, the sheriff is willing to uh, go after her. The, the, the young juror is willing to go for her because of her sexuality. Men want women to serve their purposes, to mm-hmm. provide them with sex and to give them a thrill. And as it says in Ochochornia, uh, Dark Eyes, that thrill is both love and fear. And I think, in fact, what what the author what is doing here is suggesting to us, we don't get female monsters because it's men who run the publishing industry and we can't take it. <laughs> I, I There's... Um... A, a few scenes of consumption in here. Uh, the other one, I, I marked that one um, where she's eating the chocolate. I also marked this one. And I, I really, I mean, it, this is what endears me to the character is that, yeah, she's doing all these horrible things. But, yeah, you kind of sympathize with her just in little touches like this. Madame Remazova returned home, drank a glass of weak Russian tea with lemon and varianne. Took a shower, <laughs> so we go back to looking at her body, and sent her menial to the telegraph office with the message. Um, so just the fact that she's, you know, she's keeping to her her roots. She's drinking her her tea. You know, it's uh, the other way to think about this is, and I was thinking about it a lot, um, is that you know Dracula is an immigrant too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he immigrates to, to London. Um, he wants to integrate into the society. He's, you know, uh, but um, and the, there's other parallels too. Um, and this is a what I, I, I love about this story is, is Maria Morovsky gets what she's doing and she does it exactly in the way that I expected. But also there's unexpected touches in there that make it wonderful. So the thing I always think about, yeah, is, yeah, there's the monsters, right? There's the Frankenstein 
you know, and the creature, right? And then there's Dracula. And then Dracula has Renfield, right? The the spider-eating madman who he's, you know, made his peon or made his servant. And and in the movie of, um, of Frankenstein... Frankenstein has Igor or Igor, right? Right. Uh, and uh, I love that uh, the Spider Woman here has her own sort of, you know, crippled or uh, disabled or whatever. You know, there's always something wrong with the with the servants, and she's she's rabbitized and unable to speak, right? Dunia, and um, the horror that Dunia sort of is a silent witness to. It's just, it's delicious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to me, I just, I, I love that she put that in there. And this is the lost uh, woman monster character and fully fleshed out, having that sexuality that we expect, but also having sort of a, a personality and a background that isn't just like um, sort of a, a female sexy Dracula. She is her own creature. Indeed, although of course Dracula himself is is quite sexy, both in uh, in the Bram Stoker novel and in the sure. movie versions. Uh, the, the the some of the beauty of this writing, I think, uh, it goes by so fast. Um, mm-hmm. One might not even notice it. You just pointed, I think, quite wisely to a parallel consumption scene to the 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 spider shaped chocolates. You said Madame Remezova returned home drank a glass of weak Russian tea with lemon and varenia, took a shower and sent her menial to the telegraph office with this message, uh, which we won't get. Now, think about it. What she has done just before she comes home is talk to the usurer and get him to agree to come to her house on June the 13th. Mm-hmm. So she has just laid her trap that's why she's able to have her her uh, menial send a message saying to the studio saying we'll send spiders parcel post June 13th. Right? She is already planning to kill this guy when he comes to her spidery. So, in effect, when she has come back, she's returning home. She drinks a glass of weak Russian tea, right? Because mm-hmm. only a bit of Russia can appear in the United States. She has her tea with lemon, which grows in Southern California, and verenia. Verenia is a whole fruit preserve. It's not like jam. It's not like jelly. Right? The whole fruit is in there, like whole strawberries or whole raspberries. So she is having her tea with a preserve of the entire fruit that's being consumed, the way she takes her murder victims and completely transforms them into whole spiders. And then, having lured the man into her trap, she knows he's coming on the 13th, she took a shower, just like a woman might after sex. (laughs) All of these beautiful things are in here, and which day does she have him come? Well, it's an unlucky day for him, is it not? It's the 13th. So I I think that, that... Maria Morawski has packed so much into into simple details, 
lovely details. You might go, oh, you know, what is this Vereni stuff? And, you know, mm-hmm. what do we care that she had a lemon? And, but in fact, it all works. It builds. It deepens. Um, terrific story. I agree. Uh, there, there's another consumption scene a um, little later on near the end um, after she makes the the sign of the three or the three cornered orthodox cross on her dark clad bosom. So we're getting the religion, her goodness, and her boobs all together, right? <laughs> then it goes, uh, without a word, Madame Ramazova shut the book. The dust raised from it made her visitor sneeze. Shall we have our tea now? She asked conversationally. As they drank the fragrant tea, the young man was silent, his tanned forehead creased by a frown, debating with himself. He was at a loss as to what to do. He did not really pity the mysterious murderer moneylender, yet all his religious upbringing made him protest against condoning the silence about a, about the crime. Two kopecks for your thoughts. <laughs> I love. I. I mean, it. It feels. I guess it's. It's that it's so rushed and and that this story has been completely forgotten, is like uh, unbelievable to me. Because it it has so much, it it should it it virtually is a movie, right? If if you look at how it's framed, it's very visual, and it's all about putting your view on certain things. It has that movie narrative to it. Um, I mean, it's really a, it starts with that, right? The Dracula returns, and who's the new Dracula? It's this Spider Woman, right? Right, right. It's a, it's terrific. I'm so glad that you found it. Uh, Madame Moravsky has it was in fact uh, a, a a single woman living by her pen. Uh, she produced a lot that is worth our looking at. I gather. Yeah, she she apparently was a poetess back in Russia or Poland, and um, continued that in North America. But that's not you know we're not well known for. Our, our poetic uh, uh, markets. You know, there's not a lot of people buying poetry. But um, she worked as a pulp writer for a while um, uh, and married a pulp smith as well. So, um, but uh, according to uh, the Teller of Weird Tales website, she 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 just seems like a fascinating character. She has um, numerous hobbies that show up, you know, including the raising, you know, of her own, not spiders, but of... Um, uh, she has a farm and plants and um, and just you know gardening and ducks and lovebirds and just sounds like a real fully fleshed out real person. Yes. And it, it, when you find a person like this in history, um, you kind of know that they're going to be interesting because they're some they're somehow really genuine. Yes. If you know what I mean. Yes. And, I, I mean, there's nothing true about this story except for everything about this story, if you know what I mean. I do. You know, I, I'm looking at, at the, the reality of the world. Economics runs through this story. Mm-hmm. And she is getting revenge against someone who abuses the economic system in the worst way, these usurers who took her, her husband away. But she also is living off as I said, those studio guys. And one of them who knows what she's doing tries to blackmail her. So she makes short work of him as well. Now, we could just look at this as a simple, a simple story of uh, uh, one murder after another. Uh, of course, it's not, because at the end, we realize that she has disappeared into her uh, spider shape 
and is continuing to live when the authorities think that she's just gone forever. A show like Dracula, she's a shapeshifter as well. <laughs> but I noticed on a reread, when she approaches the moneylender whose murder is the central murder of this story, um, he doesn't want it to be known that he's a moneylender. Shh, he, says ner- he said nervously, what security can you offer? My spider farm, of course. You know it's free and clear. After a few minutes of haggling over the details, she signs some innocently worded document. Now, two things about that, that exchange. First of all, it's innocently worded, but we know darn well that if it's a usurer offering it to her, it is not innocent at all. It's language that covers meaning that is not explicit. This is designed to trap her. But she is the spider woman. She's better than he is at entrapment. And one can't help but notice when she offers her spider farm and says, you know, it's free and clear. If you stop, if you don't rush on to that next sentence after a few minutes of haggling, if you stop and ask why she's talking to this guy, the answer has to be that she wants to engage this guy in particular, because if she owned Mm -hmm. the property free and clear, she would get a better rate from a bank. She has Mm -hmm. perfect collateral. This guy is so greedy as other men we see, like the young juror, are so lustful that they don't question the motives of this woman until it's too late. They should know better but they can't see past their greed or their lust. And that's already in the story for us to observe as it unfolds. You ask, I think wisely, who's the narrator? And that's a darn good question. But whoever that narrator is, who has a sort of Olympian view, I think that narrator wants us to be able to share a superior view that, as you said, makes us sympathize with this woman but nonetheless recognize that the entire system in which she is trying to survive itself is something that requires critique, condemnation, and a little bit of a feeling of horror. But there's always more to say.